Let's open our Bibles, please, to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea, the fourth chapter. In this chapter, we have in verses 1 through 5, you may want to copy some of these things down if you do, the condition of the people. You could just put condition of the people. And then verses 6 through 11, the loss of their priestly relation. The loss of that. In verses 12 through 19, it's very simple. Israel's idolatry. Three things we have in this chapter that we'll develop as we go along. The condition of the people, verse 1 through 5. The loss of their priestly relation, verses 6 through 11. And then Israel's idolatry, 12 through 19. So each time we come across the section, we'll repeat it again, I hope, so that you will be reminded of the division of the chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, the condition of the people. Let's notice verse by verse. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. The word controversy, he says, hear the word of the Lord, and he says, the Lord has a controversy, a lawsuit, a complaint. It's like God himself versus Israel. It's like in court. His complaint is registered against his people. And notice when it was registered. It says, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. That's when God has a complaint with any nation. When there's no truth, and nor nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. I wonder if he does not have a complaint with people today, because we have many of the same things that are uh, true in our own nation, as well in other lands in in the world. I'm sure he has complaints in many nations of the world, and I believe he has the same complaint uh, a great deal to a great measure, a degree, in our own land. No truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. We know that some of these things fit our own pattern. The condition of the people. I wouldn't want to get in a lawsuit or a controversy with God, would you? And Israel was. And God had a controversy. He says, the Lord had a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And he gives the reason. The reason of his complaint. Now then, he describes things in the negative first and then in the positive side in verse 2. But notice the negative, we've just already read it, and that was because there's no truth. This is, there's, the word no shows the negative side of their condition, their moral condition. No truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. They'd refuse, we're going to see how they'd refuse the word of God and the knowledge of God later on in this chapter. But notice what it says. Then it shows the positive side, verse 2. It tells their moral condition. It says, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery and breaking out and blood toucheth blood. So this is the positive statement of why God has this controversy. You see in verse 1, no, 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 no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge, no knowledge. And here, by swearing and lying in verse 2, he tells us what they really have. I said verse 2 on the first one, didn't I? But verse 1 is what I meant. So verse 1 shows you the negative side of this controversy. Verse 2 shows you the positive side that it's by swearing and lying. This is what they positively do that brings God's complaint against them. You know, God looks at what we do not do and what we do. What we do not, the the negative side and the positive side. And we ought to realize that there is both 
sides to the issue, regardless of what it may be, in our lives as well as in the lives of a nation and a people. And it reveals their moral condition. When he says, uh, you children of Israel, he's talking about the house of Israel, the ten tribes at that time. Remember, the house of Judah was divided. There was uh, two tribes. So Israel, the ten tribes, and the Judah is separated with another tribe of the nation, of the people that were twelve in the original. Now then, uh, I want you to notice that all of this is the result of having rejected the Word of God. And therefore, if you notice in verse uh, 3, a judgment would overtake them even in the land. It says, therefore, look at verse 3, therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein, not only the people, but the land itself. Uh, We're going to find out that how the land itself can mourn as well as the people of the land mourn. Someone might say, well, how can the land mourn? Well, you'll see as we read some of the things about what will take place in the land. The land, the land refer, refers sometimes more than just to the people. It says, Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish, with the beast of the field, that's the land, and the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. God said judgment would come and overtake them, even to this extent. In verse 4 he says, Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. They won't listen to the preacher. They wouldn't listen to the priest, the leaders. They wouldn't follow the spirituality of the, of the uh, nation that had been established. In fact, we'll find that from verses 6 through 11 that they lose their priestly relationship to God. You know, that's a sad situation. We'll apply it to ourselves in a moment. So it says, For thy people are as they that strive with the priest. And notice the word therefore. Each and every time you come across this, it shows the reason for what's going to happen to them. It says, Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. So uh, the results of the moral condition, the condition of the people, and this description that we've had about it, and the controversy that God has with them, the complaint that He makes against them, ends up with God having to judge in such a matter as we read in verse 3. Shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish? On down to verse 5. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. Now when you look at verses 6 through 11, I want you to notice it says, It will teach us the loss of their priestly relation and why that they have lost this priestly relation. Notice it says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. They had the lack of knowledge of God and His truth. And the reason being, they had rejected the word of the Lord. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. They They had a lack of knowledge. You know why? The knowledge was there, but when you reject it, you do not receive it, and therefore there's a lack. When people reject God's Word in any general sense of the word, they're going to lack the knowledge of God. When you reject and will not receive it, there will be a lacking of the knowledge of God. They had forgotten the Word and its value. They had not the knowledge of God or of sacred things. They had rejected the very means of help. Sometimes the people 
uh, didn't want to learn, and the priests did not teach the people. And it was not because they had no light, they had the light of God's Word, but because they hated that light. It's a terrible thing to hate the light of God's Word, to shine upon our hearts and to reveal to us the truth. But that's exactly where they were. And when you get in that condition, it's a sad state of affairs. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Shouldn't that teach us that we need to search out the knowledge of God and seek the knowledge of God? Back in the book of Proverbs, it tells us to to seek knowledge and wisdom. And it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if they had proper reverence toward God, they would have received the Word of God. You know why people would not will not receive it? They have no respect for God. And that's why they will not receive the Word of God. When you talk to an individual and he rejects the final, uh, uh, the final conclusion of what God has said concerning anything, any situation, and put aside the principles and the Word and the things of God, you find that that's the reason they're so ignorant of the things of God. They don't want it. And you know you have people today that will argue with you on the basis of science or uh, worldly wisdom or you know, uh, anything they've gained. But when you start quoting the Scripture and say, well, God's Word says this about what, how we ought to live or what we ought to do, they immediately reject it. And therefore, they lack the knowledge of God. And therefore, they're on their way to destruction. It says, my people, and it's not only the outside world, but he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When Christians get to where they're not fed upon the Word of God, then they are on their way to a downward road. It's a sad thing to think of how many, how much instruction and how many blessings and how, what all is contained in the Holy Scriptures and people reject it. But we have that all over the land today. Professed Christianity all over the land. When you preach the truth of God's Word, very few will receive it because they've got other things on their mind and they've got a better way than what God knows. They think. But that's really just what they think. No one has a better way than what God has revealed. So my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they... And now notice, it wasn't because they didn't have the means of it, because they, thou hast rejected knowledge. And he says, for that reason, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. God had chosen them to be a priest. A priestly nation. If you look in Exodus 19, verse 6, I want to read this verse for you. When God called Israel and uh, the people had come to Sinai and He gives them the commandments. And in verse 6, He says, And ye shall be... Well, let's read verse uh, uh, 4 through 6. It says, Ye have seen that what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you un, unto Myself. Now therefore I will... If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me, now look verse 6, a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God is commanding Moses to tell them this. He says, you'll be a kingdom of priests unto me. But because of their... Back in Hosea now, look at the statement we just made in verse 6. It says, 
that thou in the middle of the verse, thou shalt be no priest to me. They were chosen to be that, but God said they would not be. Now, you and I are a priestly family in the New Testament. He's made us a kingdom of priests and holy nation, a peculiar people. Look in the book of 1 Peter, if you will. 1 Peter, chapter 2. Let's notice who it's addressing in verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. So believers are spoken of. Just underscore that. Now then drop on down to verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, the believers, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him. The word praises indicates not only praises as we would praise with our mouth, but all the virtues. In fact, if you have a marginal reference, it will say virtues. All the virtues of of the Christian priestly family and kingdom. Show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, we know that it's definitely in line because the 10th verse quotes from the book of Hosea that we're studying. Look at the 10th verse. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so, the book of Hosea, we've already referred to that earlier in our lesson, in lessons past, how that the Gentile believers are also included as those that were not a people of God, but are now the people of God. So it's believers, both Jews and Gentiles, and especially the Gentiles, who are included in this embrace in the book of Hosea, to include you and I as what? A kingdom of priests, uh, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people. You had that First Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 9 and 10 especially. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. I think I gave you the right reference. All right, now back in Hosea again. So when we find that God says to them in verse five, in verse 6, Thou shalt be no, no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. What about our priestly character? The priestly class was as corrupt as the people. And they were to be punished for their ways, and we're going to find that as we study, continue studying here in the book of Hosea. Verse 7, Hosea 4, verse 7. Did I say 4, verse 7? Okay. As they were increased, so so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They had rejected this means of help. I will change their glory into shame. They had begun to worship idols. Their glory was as idolaters. Remember back in Jeroboam's day when he set up the golden calf, one in Dan and one in Bethel. And they had to go to the north, in the north and the south. We preached on uh, a man-made religion here uh, Sunday or two ago. And that's what it was. Jeroboam, he just made up his own mind. I'll set up a calf, golden calf, uh, up here in Dan and, and in Bethel, in the northern part and the southern part of, the, of Israel for them to worship. Because he says, it's too hard for my people to go to Jerusalem to worship. And if they do, they might revert and go back to, to, to David's kingdom, to Judah. And he didn't want that. You see, politics, the kings back in those days did everything for their political gain too. Just like they do nowadays. See, it's all who's... We used to say, it depends on whose ox is being gored. And uh, so that's, that's the way it is. Uh, if it's mine, it's bad. If it's yours, it doesn't matter. 
And that's the way it is in politics. And that's the way it is in religion too many times. Beloved, it's a sad thing when it happens in Christianity. It's a sad day when we have to compete on that basis. And remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, who's going to be the greatest among, among, you, among us in the kingdom? Jesus said, well, the Gentiles uh, of the world, they exercise lordship over you, over each other, but he says it shall not, and the kings, but he says it shall not be so among you. He says, he that is greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. And then he goes on to say, you know, whether it's greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, one that sits at meat. I believe we had that in our last lesson when we was talking about Christ being a servant. And he says, of course, they said, well, the one that sits at meat sits at the head of the table, the one that's being served by the other people, by the servants. And Jesus says, nevertheless, he says, I'm, the, I'm among you as the one that serveth. Is there ever a greater than Christ? Not so. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you become a servant in God's kingdom. And then He'll give you your reward in due time. Probably won't be here on this earth. Probably be in heaven. We're thankful. I'm so thankful for all the love and respect that you as a church have shown to this preacher and his family. And I appreciate it. But I know that your reward is in heaven because of your service to God. And all of our rewards will be there, really. God will bless us while we're upon this earth. But let's remember this earth is short-lived and our lives are short-lived and very temporal. Your life is even as a vapor that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. It's as a hand breath, says the psalmist. It's like a shadow that disappears. So we better realize that what we do... You know, we used to have this little poem. Most of you know it. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that's all that will really matter. And all these things that we're facing day by day are just as, as temporal and vanishing and as uh, immaterial as they can be as far as eternity is concerned. Remember when the ones went out and they were casting out devils, Jesus sent them out and they cast out devils and they preached and so on and so forth. And they came back and rejoicing that demons were subject to them. And He says, Rejoice not that the demons were subject to you. But He says, Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't mind about all these earthly things. Even though that as great as those things were. But He says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Alright, let's look at this. So, in verse... <clears throat> Seven, he says, as they increase, so they sin against me. Therefore, will I change their glory into shame. And it was a shame for them to <coughs> glory and uh, have their idolatrous worship. Verse eight says, they eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. It was not only what they did, but their heart was in it. They set their heart on their iniquity. Isn't it a sad situation when people rejoice in iniquity? Verse nine. And there shall be like people, like priests. The people did not learn. The priests did not teach. And the priest was no example to them. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. God says, I have a way of dealing with that. And He does. That's why we, you know, you talk about walking the straight and narrow way. The Bible teaches that that's the way we ought to walk and live. And I know we all come short. I'm not saying there's any perfection among any of us. But there is the ability for us to try 
to live a Christian life before God and live the right kind of life before our brethren and our fellow man. So here, the people did not care. And they were just like the priests. There shall be like people, like priests. You know, the the better example the, the preacher can set today. We're, not, we're all priests. You are. But the better example the preacher can set is, is that which the people will follow. The better example you as a Christian, we're all a kingdom of priests. You're just as much a priest as I am. I'm not, I'm not a priest in any official sense, only in the sense that I'm a child of God. And that's where you are. But the best example you can set as a Christian will affect other people. And so when it says like priests, like people, like priests, the other people you influence are like you as a priestly child of God. Because we read over in First Peter where we're all a kingdom of priests, did we not? When we talk about priests today, I think we misunderstand the word. Because you, you as laymen, as, as, as Christians, every one of you, function in a priestly office before God. You go to the throne of grace the same way I go to the throne of grace. And you've heard me say it before that they've had in various churches whether or not they should ordain certain ones as priests, as women maybe as priests. Well, the question is, where, where do they get the authority to ordain a man as a priest? See, there's no, there are no ordained priests today. Did you know that? There are not any. You say, well, they've got it in this church and that church and the other. Well, they may have them because of their tradition and their practice. But if you study the New Testament, every individual Christian, every individual child of God is a priest in his own right and comes to God in that way. There are ordained preachers and pastors, elders, deacons, and etc. And we know in the New Testament what that teaches and how it is to be carried out and the dependence and the requirements that we're to put upon those. Yet nevertheless, as far as this thought and word priest, even, even though Israel of old had certain, a certain tribe and family to be the priestly family, we find that that elaborates and extends out when we get to the New Testament. We've already read in First Peter chapter 2. Study it thoroughly. And you'll see that all believers are to show forth the priestly functions and the virtues of praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Those who were in time past not a people, but are now the people of God. Quoting from the book of Hosea. We studied that in the lesson or two ago. Now then, in fact, it's in the, the uh, last verse of the second chapter. And I will say unto them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. The last verse of the Second chapter, the twenty-third verse. Anyway, let's go on with this. Uh, we need to hurry along. I want to get all this through. Uh, in verse, <coughs> excuse me, in verse ten, for they shall eat and not have and and not have enough, and they shall commit whoredom, and they shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. They wouldn't listen to God. In Micah chapter six and verse fourteen, let me read this for you. Micah chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, Thou shalt eat, but not be satisfied. And thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee, and thou shalt take hold, but thou shalt not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. Thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil and sweet wine. 
but shall not drink the wine. In other words, everything they did would come to naught because God's uh, wrath and judgment would be upon it. Back in Hosea chapter 4, let's follow it on down. It says in verse 9, And there shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. For they shall eat and not have enough. Verse 10, They shall commit whoredom and they shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Verse uh, 11, Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Their heart was removed from God. My people ask counsel at their stocks and their staff. This is a divination by rods. You'll find in the book of Ezekiel 21 verse 21 where it's explained. Divination is all uh, corrupt in the sight of God and wizardry and witchery. God says he's against all of that. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, he condemns it. We have it going on today. People say, well, you know, they go to different uh, kinds of mediums. God is against all of that. If the Lord wants you to know about tomorrow, He would have told you. And just as I said, sufficient. Jesus said sufficient. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. He said, sufficient unto the, the day is the evil thereof. You have enough to worry about now. Uh, you, you know, someone says, well, I know, I just feel like I'm going to die in a year or two or next month or I feel bad now and I may die tomorrow. Well, we may. any of us may die at any time. Look at these people that are being clipped off up there with that sniper. They had no idea in the world that their life was going to come to an end that particular day. And you and I don't know. There may be an automobile accident. There may be an explosion. There may be a lot of things happen. But there's no need to die a hundred deaths before you die the one. Let's just trust God day by day. And when the time comes, He's ready to take us out. Say, Lord, I'm ready to go to glory. And we'll be prepared. And the way to be prepared is trust in the Lord with your, all your heart. My people ask counsel at their stocks and their staff. And this, as I say, this is divination by rods. Ezekiel 21 verse 21 explains some of it. And their staffs declare unto them, For the spirit of whoredoms hath caused them to err. They missed the mark completely. The word err means miss the mark. And they've gone a whoring from under their God. They've gone away from God. They're just away from God completely. They sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills. Under the oaks and poplars and elms, because the shadow thereof is good. Like finding a... We said verses 12 through 19 show us Israel's idolatry. I should have announced that again, beginning with verse 12. But these are the things they do in their idolatrous worship because the shadow thereof is good. They found a comfortable place to worship in their idolatry. Isn't it a sad thing when people get in a comfortable position to worship idols or to uh, get away from God and stay away from God and in a pleasant atmosphere under the oaks and poplars and elms, because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore, your daughters shall commit whoredom, and your spouses shall commit adultery. They gave themselves over to the vile rites of Baal Peor, Astaroth. The grossest sins of the flesh, both of men and women, were practiced. If you go back and study it, you'll find there was prostitution, there was adultery, there was all kinds of sexual perversions related to this kind of worship, of their idol worship. All in the name of religion. And God's people had done this and fallen away from God. No wonder God says in verse 14, Look, 
I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery, for themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore the people that doth not understand shall fall. The Lord threatened to leave them alone in their vileness. God gets tired of it. You read over in the book of Romans chapter 1, it says that He turned them over to a reprobate mind, that they would believe a lie, that they all might be damned. And in Thessalonians it says that they all might be damned, that they that receive not the truth. Back in Hosea 4, we'll try to finish now. In verse 15, Hosea 4 verse 15, Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let, let not Judah offend, See the divided kingdom. And come not ye unto Gilgal, neither go ye up to Beth-Avon, nor swear the Lord liveth. Gilgal had become the scene of idolatry of the ten tribes. This is uh, Israel. And Bethel was the house of God. It had become Beth-Avon. Means, Beth-Avon means the house of vanity. The house of God had become the house of vanity. Do all these things, these holy places, a ring a bell today? And if Judah committed the same whoredom, she would not escape. It says, though, verse 15, Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend, and come ye not into Gilgal. These were holy places. This had become a scene of idolatry of the ten tribes. Neither go ye up to Beth-Avon. Bethel had become Beth-Avon. And means here the house of vanity instead of the house of God. Bethel's the house of God. Now swear the Lord liveth. Don't, don't take these sacred places and make them as unholy as they have become. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. They're backslidden. They're away from God. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. God would, had a promise of bringing them uh, back to Himself. Verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Ephraim is a term that's used a lot of times concerning the, the, the nation of Israel instead of Judah. So, and, and thus embracing the ten tribes. Ephraim is joined to idols. He says, let him alone. Sometimes God says, just let them stay till they wear out their, their uh, uh, trial with idols and find out that they're vain false and they can't find any pleasure and enjoyment and nothing but trouble. Isn't it it something when God just gives you over to do what you want to do for a while? And remember that's what He said in the book of Romans. He gave them up to certain things. And here He says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is sour. They have committed whoredoms. Whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame do love. Give ye. The wind hath bound her up in her wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. And this concludes, uh, Ephraim had gone too far and would be useless to keep on warning them. The evil would have to run its full course before they would see the light. And sometimes uh, the evil of humanity has to run its course before they see the light just as it's spoken of here. We'll take up in the fifth chapter, this interesting chapter, the fifth chapter, we're going to find a message of rebuke and the judgment being announced upon the, the people in the fifth chapter, a couple of divisions in this chapter, and we'll get in the fifth and sixth as we study along. We thank you for your patience and kind attention. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer.